Okay, we're in the promised land. The promised land doesn't mean that it's all honey and roses and uh, everything is going to be good. The promised land means it's now you've got a time and you've got some battles in front of you and you've got to somehow get uh, things happening and going and moving forward because you've got some, some things to do. You've got to establish your home. You've got to establish your, your, your whole life again. You've wandered through the wilderness for a period of time and now it's time to come to the promised land. You're in the promised land and yet the promised land is usually full of disappointments. It's got opportunities. There's lots of places you have to pray and pray, pray for, for things. There's promises that need to be fulfilled and there's, there's destinies that need to be fulfilled. The promised land is not a place for anybody to relax as though we're getting to heaven. It's the promised land. The promised land is not heaven. It's here now with Jesus. That's the promised land. Heaven is coming, but we're living in the promised land. He promised us that he would save us and that he would do a work in us and cause us to be a mighty force in this world, to live in this force, to overcome the principalities of darkness and to present his gospel to those around. That's how we're in the promised land where we're living here. This is our promised land. And it's time for us to recognize that sometimes in the promised land, we face a time of travail, a time of travailing. Now, for some of us, um, it's been a long travailing, a long struggling, if you like. And I want to talk today about um, Samuel. I want to go to 1 Samuel chapter 1 and have a look at the birth of Samuel and, and, and Hannah, his mother, and what happened before that. And I want to talk to you today about your travailing to bring, birth, to, bring to birth your Samuel. Every one of us has a Samuel laid in our loins, if you like, a promise that God wants to bring out. And some of us face barrenness in our lives. And we think, you know, our lives are so barren. It's like, you know, I want so much to be used by God. I want so much to do something for God. But when I look around at my life and I see what's happening in my life, I just see barrenness. I don't see fruitfulness. I don't see a time of blessing and a time of abundance. I just see barrenness in my life. And we have to look at that and reflect upon that and ask ourselves the question, you know, why am I barren? Or why is this barrenness in my life? Well, if we have certain spiritual discernment, uh, we can usually reveal the root of the cause of the problem. The surface problem is the barrenness, and we have to sometimes go deeper to look at the root of the barrenness. Sometimes there's something that we're doing that's not right that's producing the barrenness, and other times there's nothing that we're doing that's not right that's producing the barrenness. It's just the time of barrenness. And sometimes what may seem like barrenness to man is not always barrenness to God. It might be, nothing seems to be happening, but God is in his throne and everything is where God has determined that it should be. And sometimes fruitful prosperity and success in the eyes of man is not always the same in the eyes of God. So it's the question of what's going on in barrenness is not necessarily, am I in the right place or am I in the wrong place? God can give us discernment, but sometimes you are in a place of barrenness because you've been appointed by God to be there for some time. We think that God wants it all to be roses and honey, and sometimes it's not. Barrenness can produce a passion in our lives 
that is good, or it can produce a passion in our lives that is not so good. And we either live in faith in the times of barrenness or we live in doubt and we become quite pessimistic in the times of barrenness. And a lot of times, those times of barrenness sort our faith, sort us out to discover where we're at. Now, we all want to be prosperous and we all want to be doing something for God, but let's have a look at this situation in Samuel. First Samuel. There was a certain man from Ramathaim, a, a Zephite, from the hill country in Ephraim. Now, Ephraim is an Remember last week we talked about Ephraim? Ephraim has an interesting name. Ephraim means double ashes, and at the same time, it has the meaning of double fruitfulness. Now, that's important to think about. This guy. Uh, Elkanah, Elkanah came along with his two wives, Hannah and uh, Peninnah, and they were sitting there, and there was a fruitful woman and a barren woman. And they came from a land that was doubly ash, or double fruitfulness. And they came, and every year after year, the man went up to the town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, and Hophni and uh, Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, who were not really good sons, so there was a, a problem in terms of the, the temple at the time. There was a problem in that the guys, these two guys were doing some despicable things at the temple, and Eli wasn't confronting them enough to, to please God. And so there, were, there was a, a, a terrible state at the temple where these people were coming to offer up their sacrifices. Whenever the day came for El- Elkanah, to, uh, to sacrifice, he would give portions of meat to his wife, Peninnah, and he would, to her sons and the daughters, uh, but to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. So what we discover from that text is that the barrenness that Hannah was experiencing was directly from the hand of God. It must have been terrible for her. Year after year, going up to the temple, seeing her uh, sister-wife there with all the children, her children, and herself without a child, barren before the Lord. And God had closed her womb. So that was something to think about. Something to think about. This barrenness, this barrenness that occurred to this woman was was the hand of God in the process, doing something in the process. So she was in company with many famous women in Scripture. You think about uh, Baroness, it was a tradition in Abram's family, and the tradition established by God. God actually established Baroness as the method by which he would deal with his children. Sarah was the mother of Isaac, and she was barren for 25 years. And then at a very old age, after 25 years of trying, she gave birth to a son. Rebecca was barren, couldn't give birth, and then she gave birth to Jacob and Esau. Rachel, the mother of Joseph, was barren, barren for a long while, while Leah was barren for a time because of her, her attitude. Manoah's wife, that's Samson's mother, she was a barren woman and couldn't give birth to children, and then God used her to give birth to Samson. Hannah is the mother of Samuel, and Elizabeth 
is the mother of John the Baptist. And she was barren till her old age until God opened her womb. So being barren doesn't necessarily mean that you're not in the right place with God. Being barren may mean that you're in the process with God to achieve something for God. And a lot of times in our lives, we look at our barrenness and we get really upset, just like Hannah. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went to the the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband, Okanah, said to her, Hannah, why are you crying? Why are you weeping? Don't you, why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Aren't I worth 10 guys? It's missed the point completely. The heart was broken. Something was happening inside of her and God was doing something inside of her. God closed the womb and then she was afflicted by others around us. Now, one of the things that you need to recognize when you're in a time of barrenness, that you're going to feel a whole lot of things coming across your life, a whole lot of things happening to you. You've got to ask yourself, who really is your enemy when you're in a time of barrenness? Because you get this idea, you know, that, that comes through in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And you get sick in your heart when you don't get the thing that you want or the thing that you're hoping for. There's a sickness that comes into your heart. It says the desire fulfilled is a tree of life. We usually get disappointed, you know. And with the disappointment in our lives, because things are not the way we'd very much like them to be, and we're not producing the thing that God, we so much want God to do for us, um, we have this disappointment and it ends up with sort of condemnation. Condemnation. There's something wrong with me, you know, something happening in me. You know, we, we can't say, maybe there's something wrong with me, you know. And then if it's, not, if it's not comfortable enough to point the finger at ourselves and say, there's something wrong with me, then, then we shift and we say, well, there's something wrong with you. It must be somebody over here. And then if it's not comfortable enough to point and blame somebody else and not blame ourselves and blame the other person, then we, we look at God and start blaming God, you know. Well, what do you think you're doing? You know, things should be the way I want them to be. And there's a temptation for us to become bitter and resentful in the times when we are not producing what we think that God should have us produce. And it's important for us to recognize that it may be not us. It just may be God's time is not quite yet for us. If it is a problem with us, if we are doing something that's wrong, then God has provided a way for us to fix it up through confession, repentance, and turning to God. We know we can enter into a time of fruitfulness in Him if we are producing the problem. But if you've done all the soul searching and you've come up with zilch and you've got on your face before God and said, I humble myself before you and take away everything that might be stopping and still there is no fruitfulness... Maybe it's just not the time for God for you yet. And you're in the company of the other greats in Scripture. You have to shift your head and understand who your enemy really is. Comparisons about who you are begin to tumble through your mind and you might say, well, I look there and I can see all these people doing these things and they're achieving those things and we make comparisons with ourselves and then we feel like we're worthless because we can't produce the same thing that other people are producing and we sit a sense of worthlessness in our lives. You know, we compare ourselves to somebody else. Poor Hannah looked at her sister wife and, and thought, oh, 
Look at all the children she's got. And look at me. I'm, I'm just barren. There's no children. The comparison was awful. And, and the wife, she would rub it in her face and make her feel doubly worse. She was depressed. These times of pain and barrenness produce within us soul-searching. And the devil loves that because in those times of soul-searching, he has opportunity to pull you apart and to pull you down. And that's why you've got to always remember that the enemy, the real enemy, is the enemy of your soul. That even if you're in a time of barrenness, that the devil is your enemy. And you must be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And put on the full armor of God that you may stand against the devil's schemes. And adjust your focus and recognize that God is sovereign. He's in control. And that everything he has planned will come to pass in its time. And that God worketh all things together according to his will. And so even though it might be a time of barrenness, it doesn't necessarily have to be something that stays that way. Psalm 107 verse 4 to 9 tells us, They wandered in the wilderness in a desolate way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their souls fainted in them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. And he led them forth by the right way, and they, that they may go to a city for a dwelling place. Oh, that men would, would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. Does the barrenness produce in you a longing for God or a bitterness about your circumstances? If the bitterness is being produced because the things are not the way you want, you need to look at your heart and say, God, let the longing be produced in me and let me cry out to you, God, because if I cry out to you, you promised you would take me to a land that is fruitful. Those difficult times, the times that sometimes we live in all the time, we we get to a place where we say, okay, I've had enough. We're brought right to a place where we want to make a sacred vow to God. This is exactly where Hannah was brought. In her desperation, she's come to worship. Everybody's partying and having meat. And when everybody's eaten, she creeps into the temple. She gets down on her face before God and she makes a sacred vow before God. She doesn't utter a word out of her mouth and yet her lips are moving. Eli the priest He's sitting there looking from a distance. He sees her. He thinks she's drunk. He doesn't understand. The religious leader of the day didn't understand the plight of this woman. Didn't Had no empathy for her. And she's heartbroken before God, pouring out her heart's desire before God. And God hears every unspoken word of your heart that is grieving. Is the dilemma... Is the barrenness, is the time of waiting, is the time of trouble, is the time of distress that you are going through, is it producing in you a longing for God? A greater hunger for him? Or is it producing a bitterness within your life? 
And all of the ones that God used, it produced a desire for God. She said in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she, she made this vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him back, give him to the Lord all, for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. So she made a vow. She said, God, if you give me the answer to my heart's desire, what I will do is I will give it all back to you. Now think about that. What is it that you want in God? What is it that you've been waiting for? What is it you've been yearning for? What is it that you want so badly that your heart cries out to God and says, God, God, I need this. I need this in my life. Is it going to be a vow that says, God, if you give this to me now, I'm going to give it all back to you. Every bit of it, it'll be yours. See, the Bible says that we don't get, we pray and we ask and we don't get because we get to consume upon ourselves. Says there's a blockage in our prayers because we oftentimes praying and praying and praying for the thing we want. And he says, you're not going to get it. He says, you're only praying it for yourself so you can have it for yourself. This is not Hannah's request. Hannah's heart cry now is, God, give it to me and I'll give it back to you. Eli hears that. She's made this prayer before God because she's inquired of him. And Eli said, go in peace. and May the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. And she said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. And then she went her way and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. I want to tell you something about the change that took place at that point of time. She came and did business with God right from her heart. Didn't say anything, just from her heart. Made a vow to God. And Eli the priest says, God will honor that. He said, he'll look after that. It's going to be done for you. And you know what she did? She believed it. And inside, a shift had taken place. Something had moved on the inside of her so that she was fully expectant now, even though she wasn't expecting. She was fully believing that there was a son going to come because her disposition had changed and she was now no longer downcast because she felt God had heard her and she was going to have a child, a son. And she went from that place eating and quite happy had done business with God and God had spoken to her. Friends, those difficult times that you are going through, have they produced within you a time of intercession, a time of prayer, a time of brokenness, a time where you get to God, so desperately get to God, lay it out before God and then have his spirit say to you, I heard you and it's coming and and it lifts, the pressure lifts and you, I can breathe again. Those times of intercession that come upon our lives are the work of the Holy Spirit to press us into a place where we ask God for something that he wants us to have. Sometimes the barrenness moves us to a place where we rid ourselves of everything else and get ourselves into a corner with God and say, God, I will be used. Just use me the way you want to use me. That's the prayer he's waiting to listen to. 
He's waiting to hear the prayer without condition. God, whatever you do, it's yours. It's yours. I don't need this in my life. I don't need this in my life. You give it to me, I'll give it right back to you. I said, now I'm hearing you. That's what I'm wanting to hear. I have a plan, Hannah, you didn't know anything about. I've been looking at my temple and I, I think there needs to be an overhaul in here. I have a plan and I've been putting you in a hard place and putting a burden on your life and making your life barren until you get to a place where you say the words that I want you to say so I can fulfill my purpose in my people. Barrenness is sometimes a beautiful thing that God allows us to go through to bring forth an offspring of his choice for his glory. Isaiah 54 says this, Sing, O barren woman, you who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy, you who have never... You, you who are never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Then he says, enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. Make the housing where you're living bigger. He says, no, you haven't given birth to something. No, you're, you've been barren. But listen, there are more children that are coming to you through the barren women than they are through those who have a husband. It's a wonderful blessing, a wonderful promise. Now you think about your life and think about where you've been and how you've been going and how frustrated you've been and you want to do so much for God and it just seems to be so slow and everything seems to be against you. And you think about how you're getting down there and asking God, make it real for me so that I really seek after you. And God says, you know, if you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. I will be found by you. What do you want to do this year, 2016? You want to just keep on going and do what you did 2016? Or what is God wanting to do in you? Won't come till a burden of barrenness has rested upon you and you feel the need to get before God and say, God, I so long for, so desire for, but if you give it to me, I'm going to give it right back to you. So that he knows that he can trust you with a gift that it won't go to your head and won't destroy you. So you'll receive power to bear. You know, the door that is shut in front of you, God will begin to open it for you. And the barrenness will start to move away and you'll enter into a time of fruitfulness. You'll discover that impossible is just the word. It's just the word that God makes all things possible to them that believe. You'll discover that it's just the season that you've been going through. It's not a preset condition that's going to stay always. It's just the season until God worked out his plan in you. And then when he worked out his plan in you and you've, you've made your vow and said, God, I'm going to give you all the glory. I'm going to give you all the praise. And this thing that you're going to bring to birth through my life is yours. It's yours, not mine. It's yours. He's going to say to you, then get pregnant. Let's get going. And it's going to start the process. You know what Ephesians chapter 3, 20 tells us? It's now to him who is able to do measurably more than we ask or imagine according to the power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Why? 
because it's his glory. And so then you have to give birth and you have to let go. <laughs> That's the hardest thing. Once you think you got it and then it's gone straight away. The effort of achieving the promise of God, it's finally working, it's finally there. Suddenly you've got substance to your life. You're not sitting in a barren field. There's, there's shoots coming up around you and there's heads in the shoot and there's a time of fruitfulness and you're looking around, there's a harvested foot and you're thinking, way! And then he says, step out of the field. It's my field. Oh, you mean I have to walk away now? I think of Philip, you know, and he's in Jerusalem and things are really going well. And he goes over to Samaria and he's got a revival happening in Samaria. And then God said to him, Philip, I want you to go talk to a man who's in a chariot. He said, but can't you see the ministry I got here? Can't you see how important it is? Look at all the thousands of people that are coming to, to the Lord. You know, I'm doing such a wonderful job here. You want me to walk over there and talk to one man, one man in a chariot? Yeah, that's my plan. But I thought I had the... Because it's mine. It's my work. You do what I want you to do. And he takes him away and puts him with that one man, the Ethiopian in the chariot, who leads him to the Lord. And the man who's a, a mighty power in Africa. Now, God wants us to be able to give up everything for him. Matthew chapter 10, verse 37 says, Anyone who loves their father or mother or more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or their daughter more than me is not worthy of me. In the psalm it says, Whom, I, who, whom have I in heaven but you? And, and earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. There's a desire that God is cultivated in us, that God is the, the, the source, he's the portion. It's not the gift, it's God who is the portion. And so when we get to that place, we're so desirous to give birth, and God says, I'll let you have birth, I'll give you birth, I'll give you a dream, I'll give you dream substance, I'll let it come to pass now, it has fruition. He wants to know that his heart, our heart are still connected with him, and we're not somehow attached to the gift. We love the gift giver, not the gift. And so we have to let go and give it back to God. You have to think about that. Think about Hannah's given birth. That's not an easy task. She gives birth and she's got the child. First time. She suckles the child. A bonding takes place. It's a little boy. She calls him Samuel. And she breastfeeds him and she... Makes little clothes for him. And well, let's take him up. No, I'll t I won't go up to the, I'm not going up to the temple until he's weaned. Well, how many years is that? Two years, maybe I reckon you might, she might have dragged her down a bit. Why? This is my child. I give my child back now? I just got my baby. I just got my little, I watch him walk, I watch him talk, I dress him in clothes, I see his bright eyes, his intelligent gaze, he begins to say my name, mum, mum, 
He says, dad, dad, and now you ask me to give him back? Think about that one. Think about the second pain, the pain of being barren and the pain of having the gift and then having to give it back. But God, he says, you know what? He says, I wouldn't have given it to you unless you give it back. I didn't give it to you for you. I gave it to you for me. Now give it back. Some of us want ministry, but behind the wanting the ministry, some of us want success, but behind the wanting the success, there's this ego that wants to be fulfilled. We want to be successful so that we can walk around and say, have you seen what I've done? Can you see me? Here I am in my existence. And God says, I'm not interested in giving you glory. I'm interested in God's glory. God says, I don't want you to be standing there being full of the gift that I've given you and thinking that it's you, it's your ownership. It's not your ownership. Give it back. Some of you won't get the gift until you're ready to give it back. And they say to Jesus, it's all yours, Jesus. There's nothing of me in this thing. Is this typical? Is God typically like that? (laughs) Well, Abraham, he waited 25 years for the gift. He got the gift, a little boy called Isaac. And then he looked after him for, for 14 years or so. And then God said to Abraham, take the child and offer him up as a sacrifice on the mount. Think about the journey. I'm not even gonna I'm not even gonna tell Sarah about that one. I'm just going out. I'm not even gonna tell the boy about that one. I'm just going out. Come on, son, we're offering up a sacrifice. Son says, Dad, uh, we got the fire and I'm carrying the wood, but where's the lamb, Dad? Oh, the Lord will provide. I'm not telling him what I'm doing because no one will understand that. Everybody thinks that you have to have a vested interest in what you're doing. And what God is trying to work in you is a selflessness that will give him glory and love him at the center of it all. So we want to do something for God. But ask yourself the question, why do you want something to happen in your life for God? What is at the core of it? Is it you that's at the core of it? Because if it's you at the core of it, God will not answer your prayer. But when you're ready to give the gift back and God knows your heart is true and you will give it back to him and give him all the glory, then he will open the doors wide and say, I've been waiting for that. We so need the gift that I'm going to give you. Now give it back to me once I give it to you. Today we see lots of people who've got lots of gifts and they know it. And what a shame that is. Sir, we would see Jesus. And yet we see so many other personalities. God wants to work in us this year. He wants to work so badly in us. And and if your heart is connected to him, you will feel his desire to get something happening in your life. But when you give birth, you have to let it go. You can't hang on to it. You've got to give it back to God. And only when you're giving it back to God will you have the privilege of seeing the destiny of your travail actualized in the kingdom of God. You'll see the Lord bless your gift. 
You see the Lord take your gift like Samuel and work with Samuel and raise him up to be a great. And no, you won't be there guiding his hand and no, you won't be there doing. God will take what you put in there and he will multiply it and multiply it and multiply it until it's no longer even seen to be yours anymore. It's only his, all his. God doesn't like brand names on you and on your ministry. He wants Jesus in it. Friends, I want this year to live for God. So, so hard that anything that happens is outside of my control. And outside of Mark is God. He's running and he's doing all he can do while he can do it. And he can't do that if we hang on to things and say, well, I just want to be owning that thing. Ownership is a bad thing in the kingdom of God. It's a bad thing if you think you own the thing that God owns. God calls us to be his workmanship, created unto good works, that he's prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And everything that happens in our life, whether it's good or bad, it all works together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And if we just recognize that and recognize that he is bringing glory to his name, and we seek that he be glorified. This year, you will see something new. This year, you will enter into something new. Uh, you'll see success. You'll see prosperity. You'll see fruitfulness in your life. But if anybody asks you, how did that happen? You'd have to say, Without him. Without him. I can do nothing. Where's your heart? What's the barrenness doing in your life? Is it producing a link with God that says, Oh God, give birth from me so that you can have glory for your name's sake. Now that's your prayer. Watch out. God will give you a son for his glory. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Father, we pray that through our times of barrenness, you will do the work in us that achieves your glory. Father, some of us have been in barrenness for some time. And Lord, with hope, we look to you, the source of our fruitfulness. Some of us are going into a time of barrenness, oh God. Help us to learn from this time, to place you in the center of our lives. And not to compare our situations and our circumstances with anybody else. But to recognize that our times are in your hand and to glorify you in the situations we find ourselves. And Father, some of us are watching the benefit of your promise through our lives. And we are glorifying you because of the work that you're doing through it. Father, you be the center of all things, we pray. Be on our lips as we glorify you and honor you today. And Lord, take us into the future for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you.